Welcome to a discussion at PageFair. This is a series of conversations about the future of media and the open web. My name is Johnny Ryan. I hope you enjoy what you're about to hear. Let us know at PageFair.com. In this episode, I discuss the outlook for the top publishers in the globe with the man who represents them, Jason Kint. Jason was the head of CBS Sports before taking up the role as CEO of Digital Content Next, DCN, formerly known as the Online Publishers Association. DCN represents a mix of the most prestigious and the most popular publishers in the world. That includes people like the New York Times, the Financial Times, Bloomberg, Disney. Let me suggest that you're unusual. <laughs> you're unusual for a trade body CEO in that you're taking positions quite uh, quite conspicuously that are ahead of your members, uh, it seems to me. And you were certainly ahead of the general DCN membership when it came to acknowledging ad blocking. So maybe if we could start with me asking you how ad blocking got on your radar and why did you fixate on it in the way that I think you might have? So, you know, ad blocking came on our radar uh just after I came aboard DCN, which was about two years ago, uh, middle, middle, late 2014, um, you know, certainly leading up to that period, there was this, this kind of uncanny feeling, uh, sense that, uh, that the advertising marketplace, um, was troubled. The digital advertising marketplace was troubled. We, we knew that there was a kind of underlying trust issue with, with digital advertising, we knew that there were ways that it was kind of going in the automated world that was introducing new, new vulnerabilities and new concerns. Um, and so there were a lot of underlying things happening in the industry that that made things like an ad blocking problem seem like they could very become very much become real. But um, I think it was. You know, so it was, it was knowing it existed and that it was happening more and more. But the the really came on my radar, I think, when your report came out, when PageFair's report came out, uh, the end of 2014, I believe it was, and and finally had quantifiable data to back up that uncanny feeling. And so, um, yeah, and you know, to the question about um, trying to be a little bit ahead of this one. Um, which really for us is is trying to navigate the future. Um, you know, it's that's very much a part of our charter as an organization. Um, you know, we've got 75 members, and it includes, you know, the big companies that have been around for for centuries, but it also includes the new native digital companies, the small companies, the emerging companies, and you know, in our charter, regardless of of history and whether or not you come from from magazines or televisions or newspapers, or you're a, you know, a new brand on the web is to figure out and help navigate the future so that we can have a healthy content ecosystem. And so that's the the next in our name, if you will. And, and that's our charter is to, to be ahead and be more of a thought leadership organization. You mentioned the consumer there at that first round table, um, in the financial times we organized and we had all sorts of people there. Um, including you for DCN and others like the World Association of News Publishers and the INMA and IB UK and Mozilla, etc. I remember um, in setting that up, the group I didn't have in the room, the people I didn't think to invite, uh, were the consumer groups. And you told me afterwards, um, we wouldn't get to a solution 
if we didn't have the consumer groups in our deliberations. I remember taking that to heart, but I do remember thinking that it was unusual for the head of a big trade organization to be so focused on putting the user first. It's, It's highly admirable, but again, I think it's unusual. So is that something from your background or is it something specific to this problem? Where does this consumer focus come from? I spent you know, about two decades operating digital media businesses, um, and you know something you learn, particularly as a as a media operator um, that goes direct to consumers, is that innovation is accelerating, disruption is is the norm, change is the norm, and the only way that you can constantly stay ahead of um, and thrive is to actually have an uncanny understanding of your consumer's needs. So you need to you need to know better than any other brand or product what the needs of your consumers are and in particular which needs aren't being fulfilled um, and deliver on those. And if you can do that at your core and your mission every day and keep your team your team focused on what those unfulfilled needs are of the consumer, then you can you can move with the change. Um, and when you look at, look at content businesses, <clears throat> that's really what makes them um, so valuable and their brand so valuable is their ability to, you know, regardless of the disruption that happens in distribution, you know, whether it's over, you know, uh, antennas on a television or, you know, cable or wireless or the newest fancy device or smartwatch. If you can uh, deliver great content experiences, whether it be journalism or entertainment or information, and stay true to your consumer, then you have a lot of value. That's your core art is your storytelling. And so so that that's just something that's been learned over the years. When I look at ad blocking, it is a consumer problem. And it's very easy to get distracted by being upset about the business models of certain ad blockers to, to get into a rage about, about, you know, how that's affecting your business. It's very easy to kind of talk yourself into thinking there's a, a way to solve this without the consumer uh, through technology. But I don't, I don't believe that's true. I think at the end of the day, this is a, a need that's being expressed by the consumer um, that needs to be figured out by the industry um, otherwise, it won't be dealt with. So let me let me riff on that then. Ad blocking is a big deal because it signals that people are not content. Um, now we've seen over several years at PageFair that really small publishers, especially in the computer game sector, you know maybe they've been even put out of business. They've been really suffering. But is ad blocking also actually a really big deal yet? I mean, in in real terms because your members, the biggest of them, are losing their ability to employ people. Is it yet at that point? It's not at that point yet. Um, and by the way, I like the, I like the transition to the word people because that's a good reminder that's what they are. <laughs> we often forget. Um, so it's not at that point yet because financially it's not uh, just, you know, the underlying dynamics of, of digital media, um, the financially it's not, a significant hit yet um, for the media companies, but the people aren't being reached with the advertising um, that's being deployed. If it starts to affect 
the actual ability to, and the relationship with the consumer, with the user or the people, <laughs> uh, then it becomes a bigger deal. And so these decisions that are being made by media companies in light of ad blocking before it becomes a financial issue are very important. And if you're, if you, if you've got a group of, of people that have said, Hey, I'm not comfortable with the current experience or the terms of the deal. So I'm going to use an ad blocker and now you're blocking them out from using your, your product. Um, you're saying to them, if you have an ad blocker, you can't use my site, which is a perfectly rational move. Um, and a fair move that a publisher you know, has the right to, to make. You may be saying to 20% of your audience that, that you've worked very hard to earn over the years, the, the door's closed. And, and so you're ending a relationship, which by the way, we spent better part of two decades deliberating on things like subscription walls that involve the same dynamic where you're saying, if you're not willing to pay, you can't use my product anymore. So, so we shouldn't take that decision lightly of turning away audience, um, much the same if, if you can't control the rest of the wider web or come up with real solutions, those people are going to turn into, um, lost revenue in the next few years. And, you know, and, and I do believe the math that at the current growth of ad blocking, which is fairly linear, let's say it's, you know, 15, you have better day than me, but it's, let's say it's 15% or so in the U S and, and, you know, nearly double that in parts of Europe within three to five years, it becomes a significant financial issue. And do you mind if I jump in there? Um, Yeah, go ahead. Listeners may not be familiar with, you know, some of the norms of the publishing industry. So it's it's worth them learning about where the revenues of a publisher really sit. So I guess the first thing to explain is that not all ad views are of equal value. And as a result, publishers, at least most of them, uh, have a buffer between the first impacts of ad blocking and the highest earning ad impressions that make up the core of their value. So you can visualize a cliff between the advertising space on a website that is sold, for example, at a premium by a publisher and remaining space that it can sell at a premium and is sold more cheaply elsewhere. And sometimes the difference in the value between one ad and another could be very large multiples. And what that means is that publishers who sell part of the views they receive to advertisers at the high price and the other part of the views they receive at a lower price actually almost can wait to some extent, until the ad blocking percentage that they're experiencing starts to eat into that higher price. And it could be that for some publishers, they actually have a significant part of their advertising that they can't sell at all. So, Jason, it sounds like you're saying that three to three to four years from now, um, and I think the rates we're seeing are, are probably closer to 18 to 20 percent at this point, but we, we haven't gone through the, the, the figures properly yet to know that. Three to four years from now at this rate, you think it's going to be eating into core revenue. Is that what you're saying? That's, ex- that's exactly what I'm saying. If, if left unchecked, I mean, all this needs to be needs to be caveat with left unchecked. And, you know, there are many people that say, you know, any marketplace deals with these issues and the marketplace will deal with it. Um, and so that won't happen in the next three, four years. The industry is already doing different things that will will change that pace Um but that's, you know, you, you don't want to sit back and, and just think, OK, that over there is enough or that organization over there, they've got that for me. 
they'll take care of the problem. Um, that's a that's a dangerous proposition. Now, I mean, there's a segue there into Lean L E A N, the acronym that describes a, I guess it's in a larval stage, but a, a standard that um, that the IAB is proposing for advertising on the web. And it, it seems to me that that Lean has a lot of promise, but it's basically table stakes. Lean is what ads should have been all along. <laughs> and it, it doesn't yeah. have a focus on the part of the web where the blocking is happening. It doesn't have a focus on the blocked web. It applies to the entire web. And essentially, Lean seems to say to me, don't do or please stop doing very, very stupid things. <laughs> but it doesn't <laughs> say do smart things. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the you know, one, the IAB um, as an organization is absolutely the right group to be coming up with, uh, you know, a, a program to try to attack this problem, um, or at least they should have one, right? Because they they represent the advertising industry. Uh, many people have commented on a lot of these issues surfaced because of of ad technologies and automation, and they're literally, you know, thousands. It feels like uh, of ad technology companies and intermediaries. Um, that are a part of of that organization that um, you know many are are trying to do the right things and many of them need to be pulled along into a better way of doing things and so the framework itself um, I think is coming from the right place and I think the structure makes sense then the the debate becomes you know lighter ads <clears throat> encryption or which addresses the security issue you know lighter. Um, I think in non-intrusive, so that's the L and the N match up with what we would call the user experience or the the performance of the of the experience, um, and then uh, and then add choices, which is I think an attempt to to deal with the privacy issue. Um, the debate with me, and I think we all need to have is is it, will it go far enough? Um, to your point, and <clears throat> we have a, a tendency in this industry. Um, to to result to go to the least common denominator um, to keep everybody happy and in this case I don't I don't think that will be far enough um, particularly around certain uh, issues that are really driving ad blocking and and so I think what you're what you're hinting at there Johnny I think is is spot on which is you need to solve this for the people that have already opted out for the blocked web. Um, you need to think about them as your target. If you're thinking about the people that haven't opted out yet, that haven't installed an ad blocker and trying to slow the pace, you're, you're likely not going to go far enough. Um, you're not really addressing because the, the problem exists. The illness is there. That's why those people have opted out already. You need to, to cure that, um, rather than just to try to keep it from spreading. Um, and, and I think that's that's the big risk is not going far enough. Uh, representing PageFair, I'm a member of the IAB Tech Lab group that is is working on Lean, and I'm optimistic that you know it's a it's a good thing. But the real question is, um, is this going to actually make someone who is seeing an ad on the blocked web feel it's okay for them to see that ad? And I don't think that's really uh, on the horizon for lean. I think it's it's something that does what lean does and that maybe even goes further. 
and it, it might go further in solving the the privacy issues in particular, which I think um, Lean needs some work on. Uh, it yep. seems to me that if if you were spooked about retargeting or anything else, and you installed a blocker, um, you really need some commitment uh, that goes beyond ad choices, uh, you know, to to make you feel comfortable. And I was on the ad choices uh, site. This, for any listeners who haven't um, seen this, is actually a, a really useful tool. It's a it's a site where you can opt out of over 100 different trackers on on the web. The problem is you have to refresh this thing three or four or five times to get it working. And it's mm. it's pretty clear that this page was not designed with a normal end user in, uh, you know, in the mind's eye. It's not very user friendly. It barely works, but it does work, so it's worth using. But I think whatever ads are shown to people on the blocked web have to bend over backwards to be respectful. <laughs> and yep. um, and I'm not sure right. that things like ad choices go quite far enough, exactly as you said. But let's let's talk a little bit about other approaches. One of the things the IB is pushing, and I have to admit, one of the things that PageFair has supplied in the past um, are very equivalent to paywalls. We call them ad block walls. Essentially, um, when a person with an ad blocker turns up to a website, the website publisher may decide to show that person a demand that they switch off their ad blocker. Otherwise, they won't be allowed to look at the content on that site. Now, as a as a as a vendor, as a company, we we have supplied that technology, and uh, we've done so for a Comscore top ten company, and the the wall's never been defeated. Uh, so we have the technology to do it, but we don't market it um, for two reasons. One is a wall forces the consumer to live with the problem; it doesn't improve things. And second, for the publisher. Um, really, there are very few, I would argue, publishers in, in the world who have the content that can justify making such a demand of a consumer. Otherwise, a consumer just bounces off the page and goes off to another site. So uh, there's something counterintuitive happening here. Many, many, many publishers have adopted these walls. And yet the advice from we would argue anyway, uh, the leading vendor of that technology is unless you're a very rare sort of publisher, these walls are dangerous because your users will leave you. Uh, does any of that make sense, Jason? Do you agree or disagree with any of that? And uh, speaking as someone who represents members who, who have done this and others who haven't, uh, is there a consensus uh, one way or the other? Um, 100% makes sense. The the uniqueness of the brands that are able to to do it without a better value proposition for that consume for the audience um, is is correct too. I mean, just just as well if you look at you know subscriptions as a as a revenue model, subscriptions have proven to be successful only for the most unique brands, unique content that can't be easily replaced elsewhere. Um, and so, you know, you've got certain companies and national brands, financial times, you know, New York times, wall street journal, Washington post consumer reports that have had success there, but it's, it's not for all types of media. Um, you know, and even unique entertainment content we've seen success there. And so if it works for 
subscriptions, then you may have a chance in putting up that sort of wall for the ad blocker audience. Um, but I, the, the pause you have to take is, is this is a marathon. It's not, it's not something you want to do too quickly because you are turning those customers away and in turning them away. If you, if you're not offering a, a better experience, um, in making that decision, you're basically saying, you know, you weren't happy with the web and, and I'm not going to let you in anymore and you're no good to me. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of risk there that, um, so I, you know, my caution to the, to our members has always been just, just make sure you're really thinking that through. And, and certainly, you know, I think our members have a fair point that this is, we've called it a tragedy of the commons type issue where, the problem is caused much more by the rest of the the wider web. Other other experiences out there drive people to install an ad blocker, and you know many of our members have some of the more premium experiences out there. But unless you're really nailing it on on really all three areas that we think cause ad blocking: user experience, security, and privacy, um, then it's a tough. I think it's a tough decision to make to be turning just outright turning them away. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree with the, the point you're making. The, I mean, the one thing with the, I think it's the, the, this is not the moving on from the lean acronym. This is the deal acronym, I believe, uh, from the IAB. My reflection when that came out, whereas I said the lean was, I thought a really great framework and let's just make sure we put some teeth into each of them. And I've been very vocal about my concerns about the privacy and data one. The DEAL acronym, which is really focused, if you look down through it, is focused on things that serve the publisher and the advertiser. There's very few tactics that really create more value for the consumer. All those options that are, are kind of laid out are, are, I would argue, net negative for the consumer. They're go away, turn off your ad blocker, you know, give me money. Um, there, nothing's actually getting better for the, for the consumer. And, um, and this, I'm not saying this as a consumer activist, I'm saying this as a pragmatist of, you know, if you want this to work, you can't just turn them all away. So in fact, the only consumer centric bit, um, I think in that list is, uh, is educate. And this is educate. where the consumer is supposed to come to the realization that it's their job to help Johnny, the pub. I I would easily argue the consumer is educating the rest of the industry right now, um, <laughs> and we need to pay more attention to it. And and you know, what, one thing we know for certain is that when a consumer goes to a website, they do not think they're there to consider how that website uh, web, web, website should sustain itself. <laughs> so right. So it's it's the wrong dynamic. There's a whole lot of other options, and uh, I'd be interested to know. I guess from a, a, a DCN perspective, you know, what are members doing here? Um, one thing that's been loudly uh, uh, spoken about, maybe up until the last quarter, there's less chat now, um, is native advertising. Uh, there was a thought that people are rebelling against ads, but native ads are somehow going to be immune from ad blocking, <laughs> which which technically they aren't. But our are publishers still thinking that native is a, is a big part of the answer rather than just one more uh, thing that they can do irrespective of ad blocking? No, I think mostly that was some noise and, and hopefully we kind of killed it off. I mean, the, 
Native advertising is a nice new revenue stream. These revenue streams pop up regularly over the over the years, and they grow quickly. But they're they're bolt on revenue. They're not change the change the business model revenue, and so um, so it's it's new ways to make money for publishers, um, particularly with high impact native advertising around like sponsored content and really, you know, beautiful customer experiences, um, of entertainment or, or, you know, or information on behalf of the advertiser. So natives and not in the greatest form is, is, is fabulous for publishers, but in no way is it a solution for ad blocking. And, if you just, and we did a lot of work on this last year, just kind of breaking it down for people to say, because they're mostly thinking about when you think about native advertising as a solution for ad blocking, a lot of people are thinking about text links and, and, and stuff that's kind of disguised into the page. Um, that often means that you're not labeling it properly uh, so that the ad blocker doesn't know that the ad exists. And then you run into other issues of, of mistrust with your customers and you have other authorities, you know, especially here in the States that are going to step in on that. So for all sorts of reasons, native is not the solution. Um, it may help counter some of the revenue loss a little bit over the next few years and offset it. But, um, I think people have mostly moved past that and an ad blocker because it sits on the consumer's computer on the client, uh, and, an ad blocker can do whatever it wants to the page for the most part. Um, and so, uh, it's, it's not the panacea. Okay. And um, I, I agree with everything you just said. And especially when you said it's a bolt on additional revenue, just like having a, a reader community, for example, these are things publishers could have done uh, in a world without ad blocking, <laughs> uh, rather yeah. than yeah. them being a solution to ad blocking. They're just extra nice to have revenues. What about micropayments? This is a bit different. You know, one of the things we see with ad blocking um, is this collapse, this gradual decay in the system that has, to some extent, been paying for content on the web for 21 years. And so micropayments, in theory, could be an alternative. Uh, do you have a view on, on wallets and so on? Uh, you know, some some big tech platforms are looking at it. There's plenty of startups looking at it as well. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm bullish. I mean, I've spent a better part of my, my career on the operating side, uh, preaching, you know, diversification of revenue and non-advertising revenue and having, having good balance and, and spent a lot of time on subscription products and even micropayment type products, um, for the broader, and that depends on the type of content again, whether or not you're going to be successful, the biggest challenge with micropayments has always been friction with the, the user. Um, but timing is, is everything. The environment is everything. You have a new set of customers coming online every day um, with a different sensibility. And so I, I frankly don't – we don't know. Um, you know, as much as you know, we look at the music space a lot – um, when we think about ad blocking, you know, we look at the pop-up blocking space from 15 years ago, we look at the music piracy space and the music piracy space, everybody made that about free versus pay. Um, and it's, it's different obviously than ad blocking because it was clearly an illegal 
product offering, but it was about free versus pay. And, and that's what the industry was, was focused on. But then everyone kind of moved along and understood it wasn't really about free versus pay. It was about portability and, and debundling the album and, and, and micropayments took off with iTunes. So you just, because they lowered the friction, um, of the purchase and with a better consumer experience. And so, you know, can a Blendle, which has had some success in Europe or, uh, other companies, there's a lot of new, uh, VC money going into subscription models and micropayments now because of ad blocking. Can something come along and, and offer a better, um, a better chance of success in a more scaled way? I think so. I think it's definitely possible and I'd love it. Um, I've been asked this many, many times and I always say, I hope so, but I, I doubt it. I, I, I don't say I don't know. I say it's highly unlikely. And the reason in my mind is micropayments as a, as a, as a, as a utopian concept have been with us since Ted Nelson invented hypertext. <laughs> That's decades. Yeah. yeah. And he never got it to take off. And we keep seeing, you know, we keep seeing great white hopes that don't quite make it. I, I am optimistic, Jason, and I, I share your sense that there's a need to diversify revenue, um, which is strange because, of course, we're in the business of, of serving ads. But I, I, I do agree there's a need for publishers to to have more than uh, the one trick up their sleeves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'd bridge the two points there and just say that, well, one, about 80% of our membership's revenue comes from advertising. Uh, so maybe there's a chance to diversify that a bit, while at the same time, there is a lot of media subsidized and paid for by consumers attention and people's attention and just um that trade-off of of trusted attention with that media that the advertiser wants to also be associated with and and so micropayments or subscriptions it would be great if they be successful it's a it's a very important thing to diversify but i i i would also plan for what you're describing a bit which is um it's a hope it's a hope but it's don't count on it and therefore we also need to solve the advertising problem. There's no way to, to bet on just one horse. Okay, well, let, let's talk about that. And every time you and I meet, uh, we're always talking about this last thing, which is um, what do we do with advertising? Um, and I, I think we're on the same page, which is that uh, it's okay to show ads to people who have installed an ad blocker provided, and there's an awful lot of provisos, provided that the ads are solving the issues for the consumer that led that consumer to install the ad blocker in the first place. You know, this sense that a premium publisher is very, very likely to be collateral damage, that a user installed an ad blocker when they were on a, a, some terrible website, um, and that the ads on a premium publisher's website are probably better even before, even before they're improved. But that if you show improved ads that don't jump around the screen, that don't snoop on the user's data, ideally that respect do not track uh, in a in a reasonably aggressive sense, um, that actually that's something that the consumer should be expected to live with. And if they don't want to live with it, 
Well, it's up to them whether they want to visit the site or not, but a publisher would be a fool to turn them away in the first place. Now, I think you share that view, but maybe you don't. No, I, I agree strongly. I, I agree strongly. So um, advertising, the publisher has a right to serve advertising to the audience. If they have an ad blocker, the publisher has a right to say, no, you can't come into my my site. Um by the way, the consumer has a right to have an ad blocker. There's not people have asked me if that's unethical, and I say absolutely not. Uh, as long as the publisher has the right to say, I don't want to do business with you. And then the publisher, if the audience is, comes into their site and has an ad blocker, and the publisher goes ahead and still serves advertising to that audience, um, I think there should be some sort of uh, disclosure about that and why they're still getting advertising. And that advertising should meet the consumer's expectations. And if it solves for the issues of a better user experience, security, and privacy, um, then I think, I think it's, it's okay. And, and, and I don't think the audience is going to have any issue with that either. That's part of the value exchange. That's why I often said that I think publishers – if they look at ad blocking in the right way and they say there's, you know, here in the United States, we've got, you, you tell me, but probably 45, 50 million uh, installed ad blockers devices. That audience, if you look at that audience as an opportunity, flip it around, you know, and give the head tilt to me of like, how are you possibly calling ad blocking an opportunity, Jason? But if you look at those 50 million people and say, how can I deliver an experience to them that they're happy. Um, a publisher is in a better position than anyone else in the ecosystem to solve this and to actually win and make a better situation out of it because they have something the customer actually wants. The consumer is the user is going to their website for their journalism or for their entertainment or for whatever information they want, and they're willing to to be a part of that experience. If, you know, if you're an ad tech company or in some sort of intermediary that doesn't even have a relationship with the audience, um, you're at a complete disadvantage because you're not actually providing something of value to the audience. Uh, you know, when you start talking about the blocked web as being an opportunity, you're, you're saying to me what I say to others <laughs> and what we say to each other. I, I totally agree. But the question is, what type of opportunity? You know, the way the way we've been talking about this is that it's a historic do-over. It's an opportunity to undo the mistakes of the first 20 years of digital advertising. And maybe it's worth talking about some of those mistakes. And we've already, in passing, mentioned some of them. Uh, you mentioned privacy a lot. Um, and it seems to me that part of the mistake has been to focus on uh, fairly crude data and fairly crude metrics, which have really um, totally messed up the industry. So you have fairly crude da data on who is viewing what, and that leads you to start to measure uh, views and clicks, which makes some sense. But that then leads to a point where brands start paying for views irrespective of, of where they are. And we know from the latest piece of research that Comscore produced, which, yeah, which you flagged, we know what a difference it makes, the, the context. When an ad appears in the right place, 
that is a that is a, a huge difference to an ad appearing on a on a, a you know a poor quality website in the bottom of the web. And one of the opportunities um, I think is that the blocked web can be this top of funnel space, something like a magazine, uh, a place where the ads don't need to be so narrow and where they can be uh, much broader. And I, I think it's very very good news that. Um, Procter & Gamble, one of the largest advertisers in the world, is now saying that they think they've gone too narrow, that they've bought into trying to sell directly to individuals and moved away from from broadcast, essentially. And the only thing we know about advertising at the moment is that broadcast has worked for 100 years. And the jury, I think, is 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 actually not yet back in on digital. That might be too aggressive. What do you think, Jason? No, I think it's spot on. Um, I'm the digital guy, and I've said that you know that the the jury's still out. So we have built over the last 20 years, we have built a really, really powerful form of direct response advertising uh, that can be measured. Um, some people would argue whether or not it's always measured correctly. Um, which is a whole, we could go into a whole side discussion. And on, they, you know, they people, might argue fiercely because uh, they were losing <laughs> money as a result of the answer being no. <laughs> right, right. And so, you know, people look at television, they say, they, you know, the meme is that television, you know, can't be measured and people aren't in the room and, and you know, how are the commercials possibly worth as much as, as digital or as smart to, to choose as digital. But it's been proven time and time over research, over actual results for you know for a better part of of 50 plus years and and the impact on real brands and lift and and changing behaviors and shifting minds and creating desire and demand so which is what real brand advertising is um digital partially because it can measure everything and people think um and it can be quantified, which really works well, particularly in our Silicon Valley here, um, has been the perfect direct response um, advertising vehicle. And the data backs that up. The IAB's research every year shows that more than two-thirds of digital advertising is being transacted on for direct response advertising, where the advertiser is simply trying to get a click or get some sort of traffic to happen. Uh, it doesn't matter where the ad runs. It doesn't matter what the environment the ad's running against. It's micro-targeting a specific client or user or cookie more, more than not, more often than not, to try to get some sort of action. And this plays super well into anyone that's an intermediary that doesn't actually have to create attention and is just participating in that, that click, if you will. Um, and so certainly companies like Google and Facebook and ad tech companies that have enormous footprints across the web and enormous amounts of data, um, have benefited greatly from that. And, and it's their right to, to benefit from that. Um, but we have to recognize that the entire ecosystem for the most part is, is being paid for and, and the, commerce around digital media is all built around that click and that transit, if you will. And for the advertiser, that means, you know, getting them to click on the ad, you know, for the consumer, or the user, it means getting them to click on a link 
Um, and all these things introduce a, uh, often a bad set of incentives. Um, the advertisers are doing whatever they can to get that user to click on the ad um, and rather than shifting their minds and making them have a good feeling about it. And the publishers, or at least the platforms, aren't really worried about creating attention and good, you know, good context for their audience. They're just trying to get them to click a link. Um, and a lot of publishers are just trying to get the user to click a link so that they can actually play in the game of, of driving traffic. So you end up with clickbait and other issues. So um, we're, we're, we've built a business around transit rather than actual attention. Um, and I think that's a problem. That's a nice way to put it. Well, you mentioned Google and Facebook. So let me take you back to 1970. Um, Ralph Lee Smith wrote, a, wrote a, an article in 1970 yeah. called The Wired Nation. And it predicted that coax cable, which was, you know, it was spreading across the U.S., that this new cable enabled two-way communication uh, between homes across America and the people who were speaking to them down the down the tube, right, the, the TV producers. And what Ralph Lee Smith predicted, he was a utopian, was that coax cable would create a revolution where the user spoke back right, to the broadcaster. It was the end of broadcast. Now, ultimately, what happened was that the networks, many of whom are, are now your members, any who matter are your members, came to dominate that medium uh, very, very fully. Uh, now, with the rise of the internet, uh, utopians again believe that the next medium, the internet, will have many, many winners and will be beyond the control of a few big players. And I was, and largely still am, among those utopians. But as you pointed out in your research recently, um, Google and Facebook together took 90% of the growth, I believe, in digital advertising in the first quarter of 2016, this year, leaving other publishers with a mere 10% of which something like 5.5 might then be lost for some part of that to ad tech. Is this not just, um, uh, and it's a very unfortunate case of me using this word, but is this not just inevitability that it, it goes around and it comes around? I don't think so at all. I mean, I think, um, I mean, the comparison to the, to where TV was right before cable took off, uh, there was a lot of control in the marketplace. It was dominated by just a few players and they had, uh, broadcast channels and they dominated it for a while. They, you know, and they, they controlled much of the television marketplace the distinction and, and somewhat the concern for, for why we need to make sure this is, is a bit different is that they actually created content. Uh, the broadcast – so a platform without content is nothing, right? I mean sure you can find out when your friend's birthday is um, and, and certain other information. But, but I think we all would agree that um, – Without journalism, entertainment, and you know, depth of information, uh, searching on Google would not be very useful, and sharing sharing with your friends on Facebook would not be very useful. Um, much the same, you know, rabbit ear antenna on your TV without the broadcast networks, uh, pretty useless, and and cable, you know, never mattered without you know, without the advent of MTV and ESPN and all these great brands that, that actually provided value to the customer. Um, Facebook and, and Google don't create content for the most part. Um, and the distinction that we have now is they're actually able to see 
most of the entire web. They're able to collect data on what's happening across the web and, and leverage that at scale that they don't need the content. And, and so the depth and breadth of the data that is controlled by just two companies um, and you've got a bunch of other kind of intermediaries and ad tech companies um, that are trying to compete uh, and, you know, even bandy together to compete. But for the most part, two companies control much of the data. They've got the scale. They've got the data. They've got the, the equivalent of what were the pipes. Um, they see most everything. And the content then becomes is proving to be less necessary in the current dynamic I do think that gets solved. How it gets solved is the question. But a industry in which 90% of the growth is going to two companies, an industry where over 70% of the advertising marketplace globally, if you back out China where they don't operate, goes to those two companies, that's not healthy. This is not and you're describing um, you're describing a world in which the can of coke is free, but the straw is expensive. <laughs> the the straw <laughs> right. manufacturer makes the money. So, have you any thoughts, Jason, about what you do to solve that big problem? <laughs> um, and I think there's, there's two things that are happening that are um, early in their discussions that I think uh, matter, and I think. Certainly, the um, the solutions to to ad blocking that involve honoring consumer choice. Uh, you know, I think the the data piece and the privacy piece. You know, privacy is is a a need for the consumer. We all, I think, understand that, and it it varies in in the degree of how much the consumer cares or how much the regulators care, depending on the the country. But um, but put that let's put that aside. The actual data and the economic value of that data, which right now is controlled by the the straw drinking the Coke, to use your analogy, um, if that can be constrained and controlled in a way that it actually is tied to the real relationship, which is between the the consumer and the content they actually want or the brands that they choose to to use, um, I think that's significant. And I think ad blocking at least the solutions to ad blocking will cause that to happen. You can't solve the latency issues that people are upset about, the performance issues, the vulnerability and security issues, and the privacy issues. All three of those all involve having less intermediaries, less ad tech, less data creeping, um, less direct response advertising. Let me finish off with maybe two, maybe three questions, depending on where we get with these two. Um we don't differ on many areas, but I think we differ on Facebook's recent move. Um, you have a different mm. take. Uh, so I'm referring here to Facebook's decision to show ads to people who have installed ad blockers. Um, I think you think Facebook is on the wrong side of the argument because they aren't fixing uh, the consumer problem. Whereas we think, certainly I think, that users weren't blocking Facebook's ads in the first place, that they were collateral damage, and actually that Facebook are, are stronger on privacy than most. I'd say they've probably got a lot of their house in order for GDPR already, I wouldn't be surprised. And their UX is good too. So why are we at uh, in a different <laughs> place there? And there's also a selfish reason, which is that as more publishers start to get... Um, uh, traffic through from Facebook because they've advertised on Facebook. 
what's happening is you'll be interested to know um publishers are coming to us now and saying uh we suddenly have a spike in the number of ad blockers on our website <laughs> because ad blockers are seeing ads for us on pagefair they're or, sorry on facebook they're clicking on those ads on facebook and those ad blockers are now coming onto our sites and we're trying to figure hmm. out how it's to sustain our business you know and monetize them i hadn't thought about that it's interesting <laughs> yeah it, it yeah. was a surprise actually so it's driving up at let me make sure i understand that that the because Facebook's now serving those ads to users of ad block ad blockers, they're now getting through to the publisher sites. So it's actually driving up the ad blocking audience on the publisher sites. Fascinating. Yes. So huh. it, it, I mean it's a it's a net positive actually because these are views the site wouldn't have had. Yeah. But now the site needs yeah, to yeah, yeah. figure out how to monetize them in a responsible way. Yeah. Interesting. Um I don't know that we're in totally different uh, places on this. Um, I think probably because of our perch and, and our responsibilities in the industry, um, and our approach to it, maybe there's a slight, it's, it's, we're, we're taking it a different direction a bit. Um, let me break that down. So any publisher again has the right, I think, to serve ads to the user of an ad blocker. Um, I think they behooves them to make sure that their ads are secure good experience and, and, uh, privacy friendly before they do that. Um, and Facebook, you can argue is doing that. Um, and I, I don't disagree that Facebook, their ads are, you know, and their, their ad tech is some of the best on the planet. Super, they have great security and they have great privacy, uh, controls for their audience on the Facebook site, which is what we're talking about. Um, Facebook, the data that Facebook collects on their site completely within their rights. Um, the user is using their site and they're providing that data, whether or not it's a good idea or a bad idea, it's up to the user. I certainly provide a lot of my own data. Uh, it's Facebook's right to, to have that data, to use that data and give the user controls to make sure the user is happy and keeps using their site. They are masterful at that. They've done a great job. Um, so that I, th I think that's still in agreement with you. I think where I come at it differently is uh, does this move help the ecosystem overall? Um, it helps Facebook generate more revenue. It helps Facebook, Facebook's business. Um, it doesn't help make users less likely to have an ad blocker. It doesn't inspire the industry. Uh, if anything inspires the industry to use tech to fight ad blocking, um, which almost anyone in the industry is at a significant disadvantage versus Facebook. Um, they've got engineering resources and scale to fight this one in a way that no one else can. Um, I mean, you're literally going against the open internet. And so there's only a few companies that can do that. Um, and I think small publishers in particular are at a significant disadvantage, right? They're going to basically they're if you're a small publisher, your premise is if this works for Facebook, then you're going to have to become a brand that just lives on Facebook and share 30% of your revenue or whatever it is with Facebook. Um, uh, let me jump the in there. Uh, yeah. That's not really the case, or uh, I would certainly argue against it. I mean, Facebook okay. made a, they made a decision to go in uh, reasonably light in, in what they did and were easily um, 
were easily uh, uh, outmaneuvered in the first yeah. instance. I think they will win ultimately. Um, but for them, this is a new engineering challenge. They haven't tried to, you know, work um, on ad blocking ever before. So they're at the same disadvantage that any new entrant is. Um, a small publisher could be working with us right now uh, and have their ads showing on the blocked web in a way that Facebook's has and, and has has not. So, uh, you know, I, I think you know my view on this, but it's it's actually proven fact with publishers. The technical problem of ad blocking is solved and has been for quite some time. Um, and I don't think Facebook puts smaller publishers at the disadvantage um, of not being able to amass Facebook's resources. I suspect what Facebook did was they put a small team on this and uh, uh, gave it an initial try, and they'll learn yeah, as they go. I think that's I think that's right, Johnny. But I I think the small publisher is at a disadvantage unless they have someone else. And in this case, and in this case, you're maybe it's a page fair, right? So you're dependent on somebody else to to fight your battle, and there's always a cost to that. Um, and so. That's not good. And Facebook has other lock-in and controls. Just, again, look at the market dynamics, the growth, the $1.5 billion or whatever. Users and the, you know, the percentage of the revenue growth, they, they have got controls in which they can fight it both economically and from an engineering perspective in a way that many, many can, I guess, is what I'm saying. But back to, I think, the thing that bothered me about this move is I, I think it only helps Facebook. And I, I do believe, and I've said this many times in the past, that industry leaders have a responsibility, especially when we're evolving and shaping the future for journalism, entertainment, and news. And, you know, when journalism, let me say journalism like four or five more times, um, <laughs> that, that has a a significant impact on our world and and our audience they have a responsibility to be leaders and to do things that aren't just selfishly in their interests and i know selfishly is a strong word but but if it only helps them and doesn't actually help the ecosystem or actually works against the ecosystem it's selfish and so facebook i agree has great privacy controls and a great, a fair, healthy trade-off on data on their own website. They also collect data across the entire footprint of the web through their like button, even when the user doesn't click on it. So everything you do on the web, if there's every page view, if there's a like button, they're collecting data, even when you don't click on it. Completely outside consumer expectations, I would argue, and and has to be a part of the mistrust in the advertising marketplace, some piece of it, this kind of data collection. And other people take that cue and try to compete with Facebook in collecting that same data. And many do it in more nefarious ways of, of we could get to go down a rat hole of, of canvas fingerprinting and all sorts of nefarious things. People do, you know, Verizon doing what we call zombie cookies to try to track what people are doing over their, their wireless. These are bad things that are being done. They're even more egregious to try to compete with Facebook. So they're, they're not leading on privacy. That's not true in my perspective. They're leading on privacy that serves their interests. And, and so when they make these moves that are self-serving, uh, um, 
I, I don't. I take issue with them, um, and just like I take issue with Google, you know, and they publicly acknowledge this paying AdBlock Plus to be whitelisted. How in the world is that good for anyone except for Google? Um, and how is that expressing leadership in the industry and solving this problem? Okay, so so let let's get off talk. my soapbox. Yeah, no, 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 no. Stay on your soapbox. <laughs> um, the, that last question has now opened up one or two more. I hope you still have time. So I do. Uh, you organized a meeting of ad blockers. You, you brought a, a bunch of different types of ad blockers together to meet your members. Um, and uh, you, you've met many ad blockers. You've engaged with them on Twitter, um, sometimes harshly, sometimes less harshly, depending who they are. What's your take on the ad blockers themselves? You know, what's your view on them? Um, my most important view is... I think the most important view that I try to express is that they're not all the same. And uh, the unfortunate thing with ad blocking is that term gets applied to anyone that's effectively blocking an ad. The reasons behind why the ad is being blocked are super important and the motivation are important. And so you have to be able if you're going to really solve this problem and work towards solutions, you have to be able to listen to, I think, everyone, even the people that um, you don't agree with. Um, and you have to be able to listen to consumer activists. Um, and you have to be able to listen to consumers, but, you know, consumer, individual consumers, you can't, you can't design product for individual consumers. Um, but you have to listen to these, to these kind of collective groups. And ad blockers um, – whether or not they're for profit or nonprofit, whether or not they're solving for privacy issues or security issues, um, or just to block the actual visible ad, uh, whether or not uh, they're doing it to make money and extract uh, value out of not blocking um, the ads, whether or not they believe that the experience is screwed up. Um, you know, it, where they sit in that, in that ecosystem and, and unpacking what they're really, really doing is more important than anything, because once you unpack it, you start to get to real potential solutions and ideas and consumer needs that are being fulfilled. And, and so that's what we attempted to do. And, and it was, you know, it was a bit controversial. Um, you know, other, other important voices in the industry have, you know, just had scorched church scorched earth kind of approaches of of let's not even talk to these folks and you know i think it's probably a little bit on you know you can you can apply this to the political world too of 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 you know is it better to to sit down with your you know sometimes your enemy even and understand motivations or not um like i i know that you know you'd have kc for example at disconnect or you'd have the eff yep. and privacy badger who are coming at it um, from a completely different uh, perspective from, for example, the people who are producing some of the early for-profit um, uh, content blockers, you know, for iOS. Um, and then you've got the the IO model and the acceptable ads approach, which they are now trying to build a kind of a, a, a council around or, or something along those lines. What's your take on that? Because they are directly approaching people like you, you know, uh, trade bodies and publishers 
to try and legitimize what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, I don't, um, you know, I, I, my my take on any of this is is transparency super important. And so, you know, I declined from the beginning participating in that process and and felt the need to publicly state. I mean, I haven't I haven't gone after the ad blockers at all, um, particularly Adblock Plus, because um, I just I think if they went away tomorrow it doesn't really change and it doesn't solve the problem. So I agree um, with that. I'm not taking issue with the business models. Um, but I felt like I needed to publicly explain myself. And, and my concern there is just, unless you're actually transparent in how you're making money and why, what the motivations are, um, you're coming at this from a significant amount of mistrust. And, uh, and, and I don't want to trade off on what I think is our core value as a association and our membership, which is, uh, is brand trust. And, uh, and so our responsibility is to make sure we maintain the trust of the, of the industry and the consumers and the advertisers and to grow that. And so if I can be in a thoughtful discussion, um, even with, you know, people across the table that I may disagree with, I'm there in a heartbeat. Um, but in this case, a public forum that where I'm actually lending that trust to their effort made me uncomfortable. Um, you mentioned Casey at disconnect, you know, disconnect. I was grateful that they came to our, uh, our meet the blockers session. Um, you know, they, their insights and their experience on the security and privacy side and their motivations there are, are unique, refreshing and, and, um, there's a lot to learn from. Um, Absolutely. Brave, Brendan. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, I, I totally agree. And you're better mentioned yeah. Brendan at, at Brave as well. Yeah. Brendan um, and Brave, right? I mean, you know, go ahead. There's certain piece of his, you know, he's a browser with Adblock installed. There's certain elements of it that, that rightly concern people. Um, but there's a lot to learn there. There's a lot of intelligence and there's a lot of good motivation there. So understanding it's important. Yeah. I, I, important. I agree with that. Let me, you're in this amazing position, Jason, where, you represent and have a background in the publications who have that rare, rare commodity, trust. Uh, at least most of them do. Um, and trust is the only thing that's scarce on the web. <laughs> right? yep. Trust and attention. Um, and the two often go hand in hand. So in theory, you're in this enormous position of strength. And as the white noise of too much information on the web gets worse, that trust that you and your members have and that you can use to engage with your audiences, that trust becomes even more precious and scarce. And that's a wonderful thing. So you're in a position of strength there, but there's another dynamic. And the other dynamic, there are advertisers, so brands, who are frenemies with their own agencies. They aren't getting along very well, but neither of them are directly affected by ad blocking in the way that publishers are, yet, anyway unless they view ad blocking as an opportunity, which they should, they aren't yet really directly affected by it quite as acutely as the publishers. And then there are the tech platforms who you've already discussed with me. And in a way, um, the publishers are actually at the receiving end of pressure from all of those parties, from the brands who are advertising, from the agencies who place the ads and who design the ads, and also from the tech players and the publishers are also receiving uh, pressure from the consumer who's demanding better and who's blocking ads. So you have this amazing position where you have this trust, this 
this incredible resource that pretty much nobody else has anymore. At the other hand, you're almost uh, last on a chain of, of, uh, of the dollar when it comes from an advertising brand. And it takes a while for it to get to the publisher. And by the time it gets to the publisher, you know, <laughs> everyone else has had a bite. And then the, the yeah. consumer is hurting you before they're hurting everyone else when they add block. So here's the question with that big introduction. What do you do? What is the plan? Or, or what are your thoughts about what a plan might be for publishers? I'll give you the latter. Um, the, and, and I can't give you the first because, uh, you know, there's some stuff we're working on that there's not ready to talk about yet. There's some stuff that we just, we haven't figured out yet, right? We need, we very much rely on our, we call ourselves a think tank in many ways with, and we rely on our membership and we rely on the rest of the wider web and, and smart people, including like yourself to, to, to educate and challenge and help us think of, of new ways to approach this. Um, I'll tell you, it's not attacking the symptom, which is ad blocking and it's attacking what's causing it. And I believe strongly that what is causing ad blocking also is creating mistrust with the advertisers. And so I think you're absolutely right that for the most part, advertisers and agencies don't, they're not really concerned with that ad blocking because it's not taking any money away from them. It is taking, at some point it's taking audience away from them and they're not able to reach certain audience unless they go through certain channels that already control much of the advertising on the marketplace. Um, so maybe financially that becomes risky for them. I don't know that they've woken up to that. So the agencies, and they've got you know, big concerns already around other issues like fraud and, and viewability. So the agencies aren't going to be that concerned unless it's a way to help negotiate uh, a better price. I think you know the leading agencies may you know use this as an opportunity to to actually. Uh, show off their creative capabilities and create a better web. Um, but you know, as a general group, not as concerned. And I think that's totally fair by, on their part. They've got, they've got plenty of other things to worry about. The advertisers also, same reason, aren't going to care much about ad blocking. But that's the symptom again. So the cause, I think, is actually very much in the bullseye, particularly the advertisers right now. Um, if you study... There's been a little bit of this in the in the UK, but certainly here in the States, if you study what the marketers um, have been researching here, particularly around transparency um, in the ecosystem with the agencies and the ad tech ecosystem, they have, they put out – I mean I encourage anyone who listens to this to look up the Ubiquity report that the ANA put out, um, which is our Association of National Advertisers here in the United States – that report um, very much is focused on where is my money going? Who all is taking a piece of that money? Um, who are all the intermediaries involved in serving advertising? Where is all the data going? And what value am I getting in return for that data? Um, and then what's my recourse? And and essentially it's a it's a debate over you know, are you my agent or are you my a principal? And and the stu are you the steward of my of my money? And so this is at the end of the day, this is the advertiser's money. And as they get focused on where that money is going, where that data is going, and getting more value out of it, I think that actually helps solve a lot of ad blocking. And so 
Um, I, I, again, I circling back to you, to your nice words of, yeah, I do feel like our brands are more trusted than any brands out there. We, we talk about that. We talk about why it's important to continue to earn that every day and not let it erode because it's, it comes from really hard work. And as soon as you, you start to relax, um, you'll start to lose some of that trust. Um, and if you do the wrong things, you'll start to lose it. So, um, that, that, Focus on making sure that the consumers and the advertisers are getting more value back than they're putting in, which is really what I think is is kind of core to trust, um, is absolutely critical, and I think it will work in their favor. Um, I think I think this is all opportunity ahead for for companies that have relationships with audience and advertisers. And I, I suspect we're going to look back. I think I've said this to you before. A few years from now. And especially publishers are actually uh, going to be quite thankful, I suspect, that ad blocking happened because it will clear out a swathe of the middle parties, uh, exactly as you describe, who stand between they and their their viewers, uh, their visitors. And it'll also, I think, um, in a sense, put a shape on what we've had over the last 20 years, bring the digital marketing business that a lot of publishers are reliant on much closer it seems to me into conformity with the model of of print and um and also broadcast and if i were still uh, as i used to be at the irish times i would regard that as a very very positive thing jason thank you so much for joining me for this podcast it's been great to have you and uh thanks for working with us so much over the last few years on this problem oh, absolutely thank you for having me and i appreciate your leadership uh, in trying to solve this problem. Thanks for joining me.